Balance your trading strategy by adding futures. CME Group helps you manage risk and capture opportunities in all market environments. Capitalize on around-the-clock access to highly liquid global futures and options market across all major asset classes. Just visit your online broker and get started. Plug into valuable educational materials and trading tools and see what adding futures can do for you at cmegroup.com slash on the tape. Feels like a Monday. It ain't. It's a two is day, February the 20th. I think they're 29 days uh, this February, which means yeah. like you have a birthday on the 29th. It's like a special birthday for you people. It happens every four years. So so I say to my people, Dan Mazeltov, to them, we'll talk about that on the 29th, no doubt. Uh, with all that said, it's market call one o'clock on the East Coast. Huge Ranger win on Sunday. I mean, down 3-1, down 4-1. They just kept coming back, tie it up late, win it 10 seconds into overtime. Oh, my goodness. Cats and dogs, as you say, the world's crazy. Um, <laughs> but that's it for my nape of the woods. But we got a lot to talk about in terms of the market. How are you, Dan Nathan? I, I'm doing okay, man. That was an exciting win um, in the, what do they call it? The it, it, the what series? It's the outdoor something series or other, the stadium yeah, series. Yeah, I don't know what they call it, the whatever. You think it's a little gimmicky. And you just, just, no, 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 no. Like I, I listen. First of all, listen, Amanda's mad at me already. We have, we're two minutes into this thing. She's already pissed off. I'll say this. My favorite sport by leaps and bounds is hockey. And I'm thrilled that the world got to see, or at least the United States got to see 80,000 maniacs at the yeah. Meadowlands to watch a Sunday afternoon hockey game. I mean, that's pretty damn cool. cool. And I will tell you, the environment, it sounded a lot louder than a stupid giant game and clearly more than a jet game. So good for the NHL. Yeah, no, good, good, good on them. Good um, on Interesting day in the market, guy, as you mentioned. Um, I don't know about you. I get a little antsy when we have a Monday off, especially when there's just lots of news flying all over the place, especially when we had this sort of action that we saw Friday afternoon in the markets. You and I did not do a market call, but we got a lot to talk about because this is this week. It really feels like a lot is hinging hinges, hinges, hinges on one thing. And let's well, talk about that. with no, we will. And let's well, we are going to talk about that. Let's go to our rundown because yeah. you can see what we are going to discuss. There is a chip stock meltdown. You'd be like, oh, you know, you guys are being hyperbolic, melodramatic. You're clickbait, blah blah blah. Well, I mean, if you look at a name like SMCI, which we will, that is a meltdown. Fed cut or hike coming? We talked about this last week. Listen again. I want to reemphasize or reiterate that I don't think a hike is coming. But now I think there's a 7% chance out there if you look at the CME FedWatch tool of a potential hike. And Mohammed Al-Aryan this morning on Squawk Box mentioned the same. He clearly watches uh, Market yeah. Call. And then we have a little Alphabet options trade. Now, I don't call it Alphabet. I call it Google. But I wanted to be true to the rundown and say Alphabet <laughs> because Amanda thought that was the right thing to put in there. Hey, so guys, before we hit the chip stuff, let, let's talk about this Fed cut or rate hike. This was an article in Bloomberg I thought was kind of interesting. So it's getting some attention. You mentioned that Al, uh, uh, Muhammad Al Muhammad Al-Aryan. So he, he, and he does write an opinion piece for Bloomberg. So it seems like, you know, among certain uh, sorts here, you know, some of that narrative is like, you know, it was basically higher for longer then the cuts were going to come. And then what does it mean if they're cutting? And then, oh, all of a sudden, some of this inflationary data, you know, 
know, it kind of has gotten a little, what, what have you been calling it for two years? You, you've been worrying. Well, about it. Uh, you know, the P words, persistence, yeah. persistent yeah. and pesky. So, so, so the whole notion that, that maybe the cuts don't come as fast as some expect, they don't go as deep as some expect. And maybe if uh, for any reason, just like 2022, that there's some unforeseen reasons why, um, you know, we see inflation pick back up. Um, you know, I saw somebody, somebody emailed me and, and, and if you're watching, I appreciate the email. I haven't read through it. I just skimmed it. Um, we get a lot of emails and we try to respond to all of them. Um, but it was something about the rain in California. Will that be inflationary? We obviously know, I, you know, there was a headline over the weekend that a U.S. container ship where the whole crew kind of got off the ship and, and left the ship because there were, you know, obviously drone attacks and missile attacks and all this sort of stuff. So there's a whole host of reasons, I guess, out there why, you know, unforeseen reasons why inflation could reemerge here a little bit, guy. But I wanted to pick up on this. So we had Vincent Daniel, our good friend, and Danny Moses' old partner at Seawolf Capital on the On The Tape podcast that dropped last Friday. You can find that where, Guy? Well, if you have a favorite podcast store, you yeah. can find it there. Or yeah. you can just go to like Apple or Spotify or so. Yeah. Just Google it. You could do that and you could go to our website, you could go to our socials. But the main point here is that the On The Tape podcast is actually a great companion guy for our market call, which you and I do every day right here live at 1 p.m. But our On The Tape podcast, we do with Liz Young on Mondays and we do with Danny Moses on Fridays and we have an excellent guest each Friday. Last week, it was Vincent Daniel, also Cameron Dawson. This week is going to be Mike Wilson. Okay, that was a little call to action, people. So follow all of that. And while we're doing this, follow us in the socials, guys, because you are blowing up on the Insta. You've obviously been a huge star on the Twitter for a very long time. And I hear you're sneaky good on the LinkedIn too, which I don't know if you knew that, but that, but they say that about well, you. Well, they, you know, nice pro use of pronouns. They is probably Amanda and or Jacob and yes. or Timmy, because yes. I've been trying my best yes. to amplify uh, things on the LinkedIn. Apparently the LinkedIn is a very powerful network. Exactly. So yeah. that's what so, I've so, learned. All right. So about a minute ago, when I started this little thing, um, I was mentioning Vincent Daniel of Seawolf. Okay. And he said something and you were in total agreement with, he said crude oil has a sneaky bid to it. Look at this thing, okay? Um, it has had a sneaky bid. He was highlighting mm -hmm. the fact guy that it would like, on days that it opens down, it ends up up, you know what I mean? But it's not like getting out of, it's not going crazy, you know what I mean? And you see this thing, it's contending with that 200-day moving average. It's, it's right back towards those, um, you know, those prior highs from about a month ago or so. You and I have been talking about it on the market call, especially on Tuesdays, um, you know, a little bit about like where you might set a stop. I know that you'd be probably inclined to press it if it starts to break out because there'll probably be decent reasons for it. Probably lines up with your thoughts on inflation. Talk to me a little bit about crude before we get into some of the other stuff, because I think this is really important. Great movie, Rounders, um, as you remember. I'm, yep. I'm a big Matt Damon fan. I think Ed Norton is an underrated actor and obviously John Malkovich. But I mentioned that because one of the penultimate scenes when Matt Damon is playing against John Malkovich, Malkovich is pissed off. You're hanging around, hanging around, hanging around. And it's a pain in the ass when something's hanging around. And finally, something breaks. And I think that's exactly what's going on here in crude oil. It's been hanging around these prices for a while. And I think it's really irritating the bears clearly. And I think to a certain extent, it's probably doing the same to the bulls. But I do think at this point, the bulls might have the upper hand. You know, we've tried a number of times to the downside to break this thing, haven't been able to do it. Now it's seemingly picking up some momentum in the face of uh, a higher dollar, which historically 
obviously should be a headwind. And maybe it is a headwind. Maybe it would be higher, but for the fact that the dollar is so strong. So I think you're playing crude from the long side. I think you try to stay long the energy stocks, as painful as some of them have been. And I still think there's a move higher uh, in the underlying commodity. So you mentioned the dollar. Let's pull up the Dixie, the U.S. dollar index here. And I think you make a great point that the fact that you see crude here and you can say, well, maybe this is the geopolitical sort of stuff. So maybe you see a flight to quality in the dollar. But then you're also seeing, you know, for other reasons, inflationary and the like, you know, um, obviously, you know, the potential for all this easing, whether it be in China um, and and then the potential for it here, which doesn't seem to be happening a little bit. um, Maybe that's something that's kind of pushing crude higher. I also wanted to kind of highlight um, Bitcoin here, guy, because this is one where the outperformance. We'll talk about gold in a second here too. Um, this is a this is a pretty impressive move, and and you know like when it was trading, you know I don't know high forties if they could pull up the Bitcoin chart here, the futures, um, you know. It sold off after the ETFs, right? The spot ETFs were approved and it looked like it was really breaking down. You could have drawn that, that, that uptrend there and you could see the break here and you say, well, they got what they wanted. They got 11 ETFs and yada, yada, yada. Well, then look what's going on here. And so what? Like, let, let's wrap up your views on the dollar. Let's wrap up your views on gold and, and with, with Bitcoin right here because this is um, a pretty impressive move and now it's consolidating up here. And if they want to pull it out to five years, that might be instructive too. Yeah, and if you could look, if yeah, they can do that for sure but i want to go back well that's fine actually because if you look at that last little move higher you have this little engulfing pattern towards the end where you now that now that i've lost that but that's okay yeah. if you go back to the pro, <laughs> go back to the original chart i think yeah. that'll serve me a lot better and you'll see like this engulfing pattern means you know basically a higher high lower low than the prior day than the prior session that's a pretty important pattern you typically something you see at bottoms, if you have an engulfing pattern that goes higher or or short-term tops, I want to emphasize that. I'm not calling for a top in Bitcoin. But what I am saying is don't underestimate the power of that engulfing pattern. And as you said, we went from 50 to 40 in pretty much a heartbeat. We've obviously gotten the whole thing back and then added a couple thousand. This is a level where I think you might be able to take a bit of a pause. I think a lot of this rally higher has been predicated on the basically, if you think about it, the inflation data, which suggests that maybe the Fed is sort of losing a little bit of control. When I think Bitcoin sniffs out that central banks are losing a little bit of control vis-a-vis what you're seeing in China, to a certain extent, Japan, and maybe here in the United States, that's when you see these knee-jerk reactions to the upside. But this might be exhausting itself vis-a-vis that pattern that I just brought up. Yeah, let's pull up the gold uh, futures also here because this is one where <clears throat> you you know you could look at this thing and you could say from that kind of spike higher in early December we've been in a bit of a downtrend guy a series of, of lower highs and, and lower lows but it's held that 200 day moving average it's interesting again that it's up two days in a row like this especially with the dollar kind of holding pat you know what I mean and I wonder guy if um, and I know that you you know you kind of play the Luddite here and there but you we've been talking since we started market call um, you know three and a half years ago um, or whatever the predecessor we've been talking a lot about Bitcoin as just kind of a, a, a sort of macro risk asset that a lot of people that we know who are much smarter on the macro have been looking at for a very mm-hmm. long time, whether it be a sentiment thing. And so when you think about this, like it's interesting that like that the narrative has so kind of switched a little bit over to 
Bitcoin guy, I know that market cap and gold is much bigger. I know the use cases are much broader and the like here. But speak to that a little bit because, you know, you like when someone like you is spending more time over the last few years thinking about Bitcoin, it really does solidify the fact that it's likely here to stay, whatever you think about it. Well, I think it's trillion dollar market cap now. So you can't underestimate that. And whether I understand it fully or not, you can't again dismiss entirely the fact that this is an asset class that's obviously extraordinarily viable. And I think to your point, if Bitcoin or if crypto didn't exist, I don't want to say 100% of those dollars would have made their way into gold, but definitely more than 50%, if not somewhere between 50 and 75% would have made its way into gold. So maybe one of the reasons, maybe, and I think a lot of people probably agree with this, reason gold hasn't had that move that the upside that I thought it would have or that I think it still will have is because some of the dollars that would have been allocated are going to crypto. But I do think the world is big enough. And I think there's room enough for both Bitcoin and gold to do well. I don't think it's one or the other. I don't think it's zero sum. So I'm, I'm, I like the fact that gold's been hanging in here against a lot of headwinds, if you think about it. Dollar's gotten back on its source. Dollar yen's going from 141 to 150, pretty much in a straight line. Dollar's been strengthening against other uh, currencies as well. And obviously, 10-year yields have gone from 3.8% to basically 4.3% over the course of a month or so. Historically, again, headwinds for gold, but it's hanging around. So yeah. I still think you try to play it from the long side to the extent you want to be in this asset class. Yeah, a very constructive looking chart in that moving average or those series of kind of lows over the last couple months or so could kind of serve as a stop to the downside. Guy, when you just said the world is large enough, you know what I just thought of? Because I listened to this song about an hour ago, mm. the man who sold the world. But I listened to the Nirvana cover of the Bowie track. And they're 19, I think it was 92. Um, it was their Unplugged on MTV. Mm. I know you're a huge fan of that series. All right, let's get back on track here. That Hold was on, since opinion. you brought it up, I mean, yeah, because yeah. you brought it up, Amanda, yeah, I'm yeah. sorry, but how many near, I have 860 songs on my, we used to call it, what's the other, it is Spotify, and, but yeah, yeah, yeah. What was the other one? Pandora, you were there for a little yeah, bit. Yeah, Pandora. Well, I yeah, I'll get into the reasons why at another time. I was never there, by the way, but I've always been on Spotify. Uh, how many Nirvana songs do you think I have? Zero. Zero. How many David Bowie songs do you think I have? Um, probably single digits. You're not a huge Bowie yeah, fan. Yeah, so definitely single digits. I, oh, I, yeah. Maybe three. So yeah. when you invoke Nirvana doing a cover of David Bowie, it does... Nothing for me. Zero. It, it, it's actually a great cover. All right. Um, let's get to this semi-chip wreck. Semi it is. Chip wreck. Um, Say what you want. I mean, yeah, because that's what's happening. It is a wreck. All right. So let's let's start with a super micro. Okay. This is a, a stock that most people, you know, it was not on anybody's kind of bingo card about a year ago. Um, I, my friend Dan Niles and yours from Soturi Fund actually was mentioning it on our pod um, last year. And I thought that was kind of an interesting name. This is just a three-day chart. This is a 30% sell-off from its highs Friday morning. Okay. Let's go to a one-year chart here, people. We just want to show just how batshit crazy things have gotten here. Um, so this thing had gotten to, what, a $50 billion market cap. It was the largest weight in the uh, Russell 2000, which is a small cap index that doesn't have $50 billion market cap. Just look at that. Maybe they can stretch that out a little bit. And so I think what's really important to recognize here is for months and months and months, 
this stock went sideways after it had a, a very big move guy, right? So mid last year went up in sympathy with the NVIDIA. Now look what's going on. Look at the five-year chart here. And, uh, you know, so this is, uh, this is crazy. It's, it's a $40 billion market cap mm-hmm. company now. Um, and again, I'm just going to read you what they do. Supermicro Computer designs, develops, manufactures, and sells server uh, solutions based on modular and open standard architecture. The company offers servers, motherboards, chassis, um, and accessories. All right, so this is like one of the, like, think of them as maybe like the Sun Micro of the internet mm-hmm. era. You know, they're basically putting together uh, servers that are training, uh, that, that that you know, these GPUs are going into, and they're training large language models and the like here. So this has become um, a poster child for, you know, this kind of generative AI thing. Obviously, one of them or a much bigger one would be the NVIDIA. Talk to me, guy, when you see this sort of behavior in a stock that went from, you know, single digit market cap to 50 billion and then sells off 30% intraday yesterday into today, um, not great price act. No, well, no. And uh, earlier I mentioned an engulfing pattern and I don't know if we can sort of highlight what exactly that means and then what happens. So if you look at that, prior day, that huge, you had obviously all-time high, higher than the prior day's high, closed lower than the prior day's low. And then you see, I mean, that is a textbook engulfing pattern right now, on top of which you saw huge volume in the name, which is a very powerful signal. And obviously you're seeing a follow through now. So, you know, to answer your question, is it an important stock? Well, vis-a-vis the move, it absolutely isn't important. I think it's become one of those you know, five to eight names that have people have sort of rallied around in this whole AI thing. But the only reason, well, one of the reasons I wanted to highlight it, and I'm sure is because you see, you know, how things quickly they go up, but how fast, I mean, in terms of speed, things can change on a dime. And, you know, I would submit and people be like, you're out of your friggin' mind. But, you know, I bet you more people wound up getting hurt in Supermicro than making money. I'm sure there were a handful of people that have owned this thing forever. Good for you. But I'm also sure there have been a bunch of people that have piled in over the last week or so, and they're feeling the pain now. And that's been one of my bigger concerns around some of the phenomenons in this sector. Yeah, no, that's, I think, well put. And, and again, when you get into a FOMO market and it becomes very narrow, like we've seen here, um, a lot of retail investors are kind of late to the game. I mean, this is not a stock that you and I would have bought at any stage. So, you know, we're not uh, making recommendations here. We're not stockbrokers or your investment advisor or this and that or whatever. But sometimes it's like, to me, it makes sense to avoid a mania because knowing when to get in and get out and do so and, and you know, and, and with, with smart risk management is really hard because emotion comes into it. So we just wanted to highlight that. We know NVIDIA is going to report tomorrow um, after the close. Let's look at some of these semi-names today, guys. So we walk in on a Tuesday. You had that reversal in, in um, Supermicro on Friday. NVIDIA closed unchanged. To see a stock like NVIDIA down the way it is right now today without any news, I think is really important. It tells you something about, you know, the sort of sentiment we could have driven, uh, drawn an uptrend line there. You see that it's broken. You see where the 200 day moving average is. It's getting close to that kind of breakout level. Um, don't think for a second that if this company were to disappoint over the next few weeks or possibly months, this is going to retrace back to that $500 level. I guess the more interesting thing guy would be is if they beat, which everyone expects them to do. And if they guide up, which, most people expect them to do. We've been highlighting the the, the skew in the calls versus the puts. So there's more demand for way out of the money uh, upside calls than there are puts. They're much cheaper, the, the puts, than the calls. Not something you see too frequently. But how much are they going to beat by? How much are they going to raise by? Because if it's the sort of thing where analysts start tamping down 
they're out, you know what I mean? Kind of out quarter expectations guy. There's, you know, people head for the door at the same time. There's no price low enough. I mean, like, 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 yes, there is a price low enough, but you get my point. The magnitude of the beats is what you're talking about. And I think this thing really got started. You go back to the spring, I guess, of last year when I think the street was looking for about $7.8 billion of revenue and they guided to north of $11 billion. And you can do the math. I mean, we were talking probably about a 45%-ish revenue guide higher. And then it was sort of off to the races. With that said, you know the guides have been higher still, but the magnitude has been lower. And you know what? That's not an indictment. It's just the, it's just what happens, right? I mean, you can't maintain, you can't, I mean, it's almost mathematically impossible to continue that trajectory. So we point that out. A lot has been priced in. In terms of puts to calls, we mentioned it last week and how basically calls were twice as expensive as puts. But I saw something over the weekend, or maybe it was last night, how the lead time for the NVIDIA chips have gone down significantly. And I think a lot of people say that's a bullish thing. Their supply chains are getting, I would say maybe it's a demand thing, right? So yep. maybe the demand isn't there. And I have no idea what it is, but it's you know, it's not just a, a, a bullish thing because lead times have gone down. It could be they're going down because maybe demand is not as robust. So just something to keep in mind. I know everybody loves NVIDIA. Everybody can wax poetic about how important they are. Blah, blah, blah. But I will tell you, and we've seen it before in this stock. We've seen it over the last year, year and a half. The stock does go down as well. And when it does go down, it goes down in a pretty precipitous fashion. Yeah, I know. And, and, and again, you know, that's what we're kind of here to do is kind of bring up the other case when we feel like being contrarian in this case. And just to remind you, at January 5th, you and I, um, you know, we were on Fast Money together. We talked about when the stock was 490 and, and we detailed it um, the next day, the Monday on market call. But this stock looked like it was ready to absolutely explode. And, and I laid out a, a way to play it with options. Um, now we're thinking about it the opposite way. We detailed a uh, collar. If year long a couple of weeks ago we'll we'll kind of look at that again tomorrow before the earnings on market call let's look at the smh here really quickly guy this is the etf that tracks it a week ago um we detailed a put spread in the smh we were looking at uh march expiration when the stock or the etf was 206 or so the 205 185 put spread 20 dollars wide in march expiration costs about five dollars with this uh, etf now at about 196 that is firmly in the money. Mm -hmm. um, it's not at the midpoint yet, but that put spread that cost five is now worth $9. So at this point with NVIDIA, like obviously one of the largest, um, you know, weighted uh, stocks in that ETF, it might make sense if you put this on between now and fr uh, tomorrow's close and, and to actually take some of those profits. So if you paid five and it's worth like 940 or 950 right now to maybe buy a put or a put spread with that profit that you made. So rolling it down a little bit, does that makes sense to you guy is managing yeah. the trade. Look, no doubt about it. If you think that you got it now, like you've got this thing nailed, that makes perfect sense. If you're a little, I don't know, maybe concerned that you might miss that the NVIDIA might actually beat all expectations tomorrow. And this trade that basically is a double is going to go to a zero. There's nothing wrong with taking some money off the table. It really comes down to, you know, what your thought process. I'll say this though, and you know, we've mentioned this a number of times. Anytime You've doubled, and if I'm, I'm calling this a double. I know it's not, but it's close enough. Close. So anytime you have a double, you know, if you take half off, you're in the rest of the trade for free, and then you yeah. can sort of play around a little bit. So that's one thing. The other thing, and you can pull this up on the fly as I talk, but you know, this is also we talk about legging into things. Now, this trade was put on 
buying the put, selling the 185 put. And you got paid a buck and a quarter to do that. But if you had legged into this, Dan, and real quick, I don't know if you can look at what the March 185 puts are now. My sense is they're probably obviously more expensive than they were when you sold them. Yeah. So it's just, and again, this is not an indictment at all. This is just an illustration of how you can have a thesis for a trade, but you can say, you know what? I want to leg into this. I want to buy the put first because I think I'm going to be right directionally quicker. And then I want to wait to see if I'm right. And maybe that 185 put might be a double now. So instead of selling it for a buck and a quarter, I could sell it for two and a half. And and it's just, it's listen, it's unique to everybody. I want people to understand. Now, the right way to do it is the way Dan did it there. The sort of, you know, out the risk curve skewed way to do it is a way that I explained how you can leg into things. And I just wanted to sort of put that yeah. out there. As no, well. And that, listen, that's a great point. And I think that, you know, for folks who are sitting there staring at a fact set screen or staring at your online brokerage thing or whatever all day long and watching this stuff, I think legging into trades like that makes a lot of sense. You have to be around and or be able to set limit orders and the like. Um, but for some people like to set it and forget it and think about what they have risked and mm-hmm. then look at it on a day to day basis. So your point is a great one. And I think, you know, like, like, like different strokes for different folks. And I think that makes some sense. So, you know, right here, I'll be kind of rolling this thing <clears throat> down a little bit with some of the profits. Um, and we'll do a deeper dive tomorrow um, on NVIDIA guy um, before the results. Let's look at the broad market here. It seems that, you know, with the S&P, which was briefly above 5,000, then a nice round number, everybody was waiting for it. A bunch of strategists on the streets were, were, were tripping over each other to raise their targets. We saw a few of them. Um, it might have been a 5,200 today, but there was one as high as 5,400. Um, let's look at the S&P 500. Let's look at the futures. Let's look at the chart here. Holding on for dear life for this very steep uptrend. You see where that 200-day is all the way down there. And again, um, you know, NVIDIA, which has become a very large part of the S&P 500, if that were to, you know, disappoint, that that stock is going to lead the whole semi-space. Mm-hmm. So you could say, well, it would be X percent if, you know, the implied move is 11% in either direction. Let's say it was down 10%. Maybe that's, you know, 1%. I don't know on the S&P. Let, let's just say it's not going to be more probably, than 1%. It's probably like four-tenths of 1%. That's just back of the envelope math. But yeah. So, but, but it's going to take AMD. It's going to take the semi-equipment stocks. It's going to take, you know, you know, most of the stocks that are in the semi-space, which have been levitating, it's going to take them down with them. And then it's going to take some of the software names. Because then, to your point, Guy, what if it is a demand thing? Okay, so who are their customers? Well, 30% is Google. Amazon, Alphabet, you know, and Microsoft, you know what I mean? Those four companies. So then do you extrapolate it to the hyperscalers? Do you extrapolate it to some of the companies that have spent a lot of money on building these large languages? You know, so, so that's, that's how this is going to happen. Right. So, you know, like just, you know, just, you know, look, the S and P chart is look, that's the line that it's a very steep uptrend line. Mm -hmm. You see where the moving average is what we didn't mention. And it's worth mentioning is the fact that, you know, everybody it's amazing. When Apple goes up every day, everybody wants to talk about it. Very quietly, Apple's gone from 198, 199 and change. I think it traded down to 180 on the screws today, maybe a little bit above it, but it's trading below 181 right now. So you're talking about a stock, um, you know, again, the broader market's done okay, reasonably well until the last couple trading sessions that really hasn't traded particularly well since, I want to say, December. Now, again, it's had some moves to the downside, moves to the upside, but now, you look at this and say, what the hell is going on with Apple? Is Apple telling a story that nobody's paying attention to right now? We're through the moving average the same way, by the way, we were back in October. That proved to be a head fake to the downside. And obviously, in the sell-offs that we've seen, we've held the moving average. But each time we try, 
we seemingly break a little more of that support. So I just throw it out there again, just to throw it out there, because if you look at this, you know, the highs we made in December were, you know, pretty much the same highs we made over the summer. And if you go longer term, just for shits and giggles, you'll see what appears to be, you know, a bit of a rounding top formation. So I just throw that out there as well, Dan, Nathan, because why not? Yeah, no. And if you were to draw an uptrend from that October low and attach it to the, you know, you, you can see that we're, we're, uh, you know, look at, look at these guys, Johnny, on yeah, the Johnny on the spot <clears throat> that, that looks like a hungry alligator to me, guy. I'm just going to put that out there, but you know, you're going to have to go. That's a deep cut people for some of, um, the predecessor of market call. That's old school. Figure, that is some old school stuff. Let's move to this. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm back on the Twitter a little bit guy and I'm spending oh, probably more more time than I they want to, but there's a lot of good stuff on there. So this was Jim Bianco. Um, and this was a response to a guy named Mark Zandi. Mark Zandi is the head economist or the chief economist um, at, I thought it was at Moody's. W- 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 did he change? I think he is still at Moody's, I okay. think. Okay. So, so he said the Fed shouldn't delay much longer in cutting rates. It's all but achieved its dual mandate of full employment uh, economy and a low uh, and low and stable inflation. Okay, well, we don't have to debate that, guy, because I don't want to get you all torqued up on a Tuesday here. But this is Bianco's tweet. You see this. Um, and so I think the most important thing is that the B of A global financial stress indicator um, a description is on the chart. Just exceeded its April 21 extreme, showing the least amount of financial stress since the pandemic. So I guess his point is what he's saying is if you were to lower interest rates right now, you are just going to maybe further exasperate the, yeah. the issue of, of, you know, like loose financial conditions, which could be an absolute disaster if you think about it. Because while a lot of the economic data suggests the economy is okay, a lot of stuff under the surface suggests that it's very fragile. Well, look, I, again, you didn't want to upset me on a Tuesday and you haven't because, again, I'm in a good I mood. Guess. I shaved, yeah. you'd see it. But, yeah. I mean, you know, Zandy, you know, good for him. I, they're, look, what I, I'll say this for the thousandth time. The stock market's effectively at an all-time high. The unemployment rate is below 4%, right? Yeah, inflation's a problem, but not nearly to the extent that it was. I'm just making the cases as to why you shouldn't be. Why? why you need to lower rates here? Like, what is compelling that we're just because that's what we've grown up on, low interest rates? Like, you can make an argument that these are actually, we've normalized rates. These are where rates should be. So everybody's hell-bent on lowering rates. You have to ask yourself, why is that? Like, what purpose does it serve for their own personal agendas? And I will tell you that with each passing day, you know, I don't really see the need to lower rates. But I'll say again, if in fact they do lower rates to the extent that people, the market seems to think, it ain't because they stuck, they carry strug the landing. It's because something is fracturing along the way. And that should be the ultimate concern. Yeah, no doubt. And, and again, I just highlight the fact that that Bloomberg article, markets start to speculate if the next Fed move is up, not down. Pretty fascinating that that's starting to work its way into the lexicon. That seems very Guy Adami-ish because you've kind of highlighted the fact that, okay, well, you know, and, and you know, a lot of folks who think you're just there to bash uh, Fed Chair Powell, um, you know, I remember back in 1718 when he first took the job, now he was just kind of on his way to try to, and this is in air quotes, normalizing mm-hmm. interest rates, and you were all for it. Well, they've done that. So now the, the, the real trick is whether they can carry Strug the landing, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. And look, it's not, I got, I've never met the guy. I'm sure he's, it's got really nothing. To do. Quite frankly, if, if you look at his tenure, 
you know, I was obviously adamantly again when they reversed course in, I think it was December of eight or January of 19, whatever the hell it was. Yeah. You know, I, I was offended by that for a myriad of different reasons. But, you know, they got religion and it's the old saying, you know, the best time to plant a tree was 20 years ago. The next best time is today. So at least they started on the right path when they did in terms of normalizing rates and raising rates. I mean, you can't blame him. If the market doesn't want to believe him, he's been pretty steadfast in his belief that inflation is still a problem. So, you know, I do have a level of admiration for the guy. I understand how difficult the seat is, but my problem isn't necessarily with him. It's more with central banks in general who think they can alchemy everything out of the equation. That to me has always been problematic. Yeah, no, and, and and you know what? Listen, I think you've actually been very fair about Jerome Powell and the job he's trying to do. When you consider what most uh, Fed chiefs have had to deal with, um, what he had to deal with was the the curveball of all curveballs. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, let, let's yeah, well, let's see how it happens. Um, all right, let's hit uh, yields for a sec here. You mentioned that that three point eight to four point three, but it was five percent down to three point eight, and now it's at four point three. Um, you've been in the camp that you know yields were going to kind of find a home above four percent, um, at least on the ten year. Um, it, it's done that here. It's kind of being pesky. It's it's holding, um, you know, above those kind of levels where. Just what a month and a half ago, it felt like kind of we were on our way to like mm-hmm. to like catch those prior lows. Um, so this is where the market has done an about face, guy. Right? Um, it just basically, a lot of folks thought that you know what investors wanted, which was lower rates, was going to be the thing that led the Fed to do it. But here we are. We look at the CME Fed Watch tool, and you see that you know obviously cuts continue to get pushed out. You highlighted the fact that there's even a probability of a raise. You know what I mean to some degree here. So this is one that's going to get a bit trickier for the stock market, in my opinion, because right now, yeah, we're still hanging around 5,000 and this and that or whatever. But you lose some of these really great narratives in the stock market guy, and then you start to have consecutive months of this inflation data starting to at least just hold or, or signal a pickup. Mm-hmm. With rates where they are, that's the big fear is that the economy just takes a shit. You know what I mean? Yeah. And then Not the fair. Fed goes into panic mode. That's fair. And the panic mode will be them lowering rates in the face of what's probably, you know, again, pretty difficult inflation to defeat. Right. And they'll just open the door for that. But the other thing that market participants don't seem to want to acknowledge is a lot of this. Well, a lot of it, everything comes down to supply and demand. And I mentioned that because there's almost nine trillion dollars of government debt that's maturing over the next year or so that's going to have to be effectively refinanced, if you want to use that term. And they will get it done. Like I'm not suggesting the Treasury won't get it done. It's a question of at what rate will it get it done? Because I've said for a while, you know, the market participants or the last, the buyers of last resort or the buyers that are there are going to demand a higher yield to buy our debt. Given everything that's going on politically, given everything that's going on with our debt to GDP, all those different things are going to be concerning. So that's why I've been so, I guess, bullish on rates. In other words, thinking rates would continue to go higher. For the reasons cited, and by the way, the fact that there's nine trillion dollars of paper that needs to be rolled. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, we're going to continue to keep an eye on that later yeah, we on the will. week. Carter is going to help us chart the the yields. He had a great note out on worth charting. Um, I want to pull this up before we get to the alphabet trade idea, the Google, as you like to call it, guy. Let's pull up the Nasdaq 100 futures here, um, and if they can draw a trend line here from the October lows, um, we just broke it. Guy, we just broke it. Just okay? as we're talking. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, it well, I'm, kidding. I, I'm, I'm kidding. I'm and, kidding. I'm kidding. And again, yes. Hungry alligator. 
uh, hungry alligator, those usually find, they usually find what they're looking for. Mm -hmm. Um, and if you still haven't found what you're looking for, don't look for it at the sphere. I was there this weekend in Las Vegas. I saw you too. You probably saw what I did there. I'll bet you that is on your Spotify playlist. No. I still haven't found what I'm looking for. No, really? it's an annoying song. It really oh. is. Angel of Harlem is on it. I did it's think it's back. a good song. Um, maybe, yeah. maybe two, I'd probably have two or three U2 songs. They're not, what? I never really much bad is bad on there. Bad is probably one of the best rock songs the last yeah, one, maybe one's but, an amazing you know. song. All right. So, so let's I'm not a, listen. I, 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 I get it. I, you know, I understand. I'm actually yeah. going to, I'm going to Dublin in yeah, you April. Are. That's yeah, like you the are. home of you two or something. Yeah. But yeah. you know, I love you too. Um, so here we are, guy. We're about 11% above this 200-day moving average in the NASDAQ 100. We just broke that um, that uptrend that had been in place. Okay, you see that? I just want to kind of read off. Maybe they can pull up the top holdings in the QQQ. That's the ETF that tracks the NASDAQ 100. And I'll just tell you about that hangry alligator, that little snaggle tooth up there. You see that little thing, guy? That thing wants to dig into something. And I think what it's going to dig into is NVIDIA. But if you look at the holdings here, Microsoft's nearly 9%. Apple, which you just mentioned, trades like dog shit, is 8%. NVIDIA is 5.25%. Amazon is 5.1%. Meta is you know nearly 5%. So you, you get it. Tesla is slowly falling off the face of this thing. Thank goodness. Um, so when I look at this, I say to myself, okay, if the semis come in, Okay. And NVIDIA is the thing that causes that kind of bubble to kind of, you know, just deflate a little bit. Well, what comes next? Well, it's clearly Microsoft, it's clearly Amazon, and it's clearly Meta, and it's clearly Google because these are the big, you know, and, and Google's there twice because there's two classes and you put that together and it's about, um, you know, four or something percent. So let's look at the Google chart really quickly here, Guy, because this is one from a product standpoint, and we don't have to get into the, the nuts and bolts of what they've put together with Gemini, uh, Advanced Gemini, which is the chat GPT competitor, the perplexity competitor. I'm a much bigger fan of perplexity and actually Gemini compared to GPT-4, um, but that's for another story. But the market doesn't perceive that they're doing a great job. This is the Google with the Gemini. And so I look at this thing. It's been in this nice little uptrend. Um, it's broken it. And you see the 200-day moving average much closer to it. Let's look at on a five-year basis because this is one when you and I are on the set of Fast Money sitting next to each other. You're always kind of pointing this one out to me. So talk to me about this chart right here. It's a five-year of the alphabet guy. Well, I mean, there's a reason why Google trades at a market multiple and the rest of these things trade, obviously, at a premium. And it's not an indictment of the company, but you know, you could say it's had a great run all of 2023. It did. All we did was basically get back to the prior highs. And the valuation should be telling you a story. There's a reason why the market's not rewarding Google in the same way it rewards some of these other companies. And maybe it's their lack of... Um, their narrative or their their inability to talk about their AI narrative. I, I personally think that Google probably as a standalone is fine, you know, but I think what's taken away from Google is some of the, um, I don't know, euphoria around AI and the valuations awarded. But there's no denying that this stock is not traded particularly well over the last few sessions. And I do think we're right at that uptrend line and those double tops stick out to me like a sore thumb. So the moving average probably comes in around 132-ish. You know, I think there's a very good chance we take a look at it. The question is, what happens if and when we get there? Do we have a further breakdown or do we hold there like we've done before? So I think, listen, you can discount it all you want, but the importance to the broader market can't be understated. 
Yeah. And, and I guess, and, and where we're going with this is that, again, we just said it, the, the knock-on effect, if you were to have a guide lower or below what expectations are for NVIDIA, it's going to be their customers that get hit also, mm-hmm. right? And so when I look at an alphabet and I say to myself, technically it doesn't look great, the narrative around what they're building uh, to compete with Microsoft and to compete with you know, some upstarts like Perplexity is not particularly great. And I say to myself, this stock looks vulnerable technically. So despite valuation and the like, so I want to look at the options market. If you look at implied volatility, the price of options in Alphabet, they look pretty reasonable, guys. So if you're long the stock, if you're looking to kind of protect maybe over the next month or so, or you're looking to make an outright bearish bet, and I'll just throw this up there. Like, so with the stock at about 141 right here, the March expiration, so a little less than a month or so, 140 puts would cost you about $3, all right? So you can do the math. It's about 2%. The break-even would be down um, at 137, so down $4. It's a little less than 3% or so. And when you think about just the way stocks are moving today, guys, some of these names, such as the space, that looks like a pretty decent risk-reward here. So if you're looking to play, and I'm not really sure what the sort of headlines, you know what I mean, are going to be. It would have to be a massive beat and raise by NVIDIA. It would have to be extrapolating that, you know, Google is doing so well with this Gemini Advance, which just launched, to be very clear, mm-hmm. um, you know, to take this thing higher. So, you know, I just think where the NASDAQ is right here, I think where the narrative in and around um, Gen AI chip stocks are right here, um, I think this one is vulnerable, guy. And when's expiration? Like the 24th or something of March? 15th, I don't, March 15th. March 15th. Oh, the 15th. So, yeah. so I'm off, by, so I'm off yeah. by a week. So you don't have, not a lot of time here, but I think to your point, you're probably going to know pretty quick if you're right or wrong vis-a-vis what we hear from NVIDIA and what it does to the broader market. So, you know, I'm with you on this one. And, you know, that three bucks, yeah, the break-even is 137. But if you're right, you know, the optionality is going to kick in. So the vol skew is going to go your way as well. And I don't, I don't want to get too in the weeds here, but yeah, 137 is right in terms of the math. But, you know, if you're right quickly, you're going to see how quickly volatility starts to work for you as well. So, yeah, I think, listen, you're basically, I know you like to stop out at half if you're down. So you're risking a buck and a half. You can do the math in terms of percentage of the stock. Um, but if you're right, you know, this could be a double real fast. Yeah, and the point that you made earlier about the SMH is this is one that you could leg into too, right? So if you get this thing at 139 and you just look at what the delta is of this 140 put, for every dollar it moves, you can figure out how much, uh, okay, like this option should appreciate as it goes in the money. And therefore, you could look to sell a downside put and lock in at least some of the initial premium that you paid for it and the like here. So again, different ways um, to trade these things, to leg into them, to start out with a spread. I like the idea of potentially legging into this one and using a 50% premium stop. All right. We will be back tomorrow, by the way. I think tomorrow is Wednesday. So that means EY from SoFi will be joining us on thursdays we're gonna have who carter braxtonworth and and who john butters yeah we will um but that's it for today there's a we got a lot in in a short period of time want to thank our sponsor of course cme group where risk meets opportunity of course facts that being our data provider enjoy the rest of your day we'll be back tomorrow dan and i will be on the set of cnbc's fast money three hours and four 13 minutes see you then 